Happy Halloween, mystery solvers. Before we get to our show, here is a podcast we think you're going to love. Hi, everyone. This is Mallory. I'm Whitney. And I'm Allison. And we are the Scary Sisters. Ooh. <laughs> All three of us grew up loving scary stories and films. And as adults, we are just as horror obsessed. That's why we created the Scary Sisters, a weekly podcast where together we discuss horror movies. Join us as we discuss films from the classics to new releases. And for those of you who are too scared to watch horror movies, this is a comedy podcast, so you can experience the film without the chills. We release every Friday, so check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or our website. Bye! Bye. Oh, I did it! <laughs> <laughs> We're actually recording now. Okay. I'm seeing it with my own eyes. <laughs> happy Halloween, Samantha. Happy Halloween, listeners. Yes. Happy Halloween, five listeners. Welcome to the Perhaps It's You Halloween special. We- <laughs> We're taking a break from the mysteries. Liz is going on a super awesome vacation so we're pre-recording i'm on a little mini trip super duper halloween special just (laughs) for you super duper halloween special (laughs) i've learned a couple things about my speech patterns (laughs) from having a podcast didn't know that i frequently use the phrase super duper i find it charming also 100 percent why is he was a 100 percent super duper creeper that's (laughs) how i talk as it turns out i hadn't i really didn't know that so that makes this the 100% super duper Halloween special. Yay! <laughs> the super duper Halloween special from Perhaps It's You. We assume that all listeners to Perhaps It's You love Halloween. I mean, is that a safe assumption? Yeah, I think so. So we hope you enjoy this special There's Halloween There's so much episode. mystery around Halloween, so much intrigue. It's really just... The drama. Yeah. The, it has a little of everything. It's so fun. It's a holiday with no family obligations, which is super great. <laughs> I never considered that. That does make it an amazing holiday. Yeah, it's just about you and costumes and candy and like celebrating darkness. Yeah, it's you everything we love. You get to be the weirdo you always are, but on Halloween, everybody's like, oh, everyone else is also that way. Way to really be dressed for Halloween, you Liz. <laughs> and it's like, I don't dress like this all the time. You're right. <laughs> this is just for Halloween. I'm in the spirit of the season. So in the vein of early 90s TV shows, we found The Haunted History of Halloween. It's a History Channel documentary. And what stood out to me was that... <laughs> Samantha the, found this gem. In YouTube, on the title for this documentary, in parentheses, they put the old one from the 90s. <laughs> so we're like, yep. So we're like, this is the one we're watching. <laughs> so that's the one we watched. I liked it. What was your overall vibe from okay. this, this I did, documentary? I did learn some things. Um, the dated footage is pretty adorable. I really liked. I really liked seeing the kids' Halloween costumes and stuff. It gives it a little bit more charm. Mm-hmm. If Absolutely. I was seeing the same special, a c- contemporary version of the same special, I would probably be pretty bored. But this made it a little more. Definitely a little bit more on brand for perhaps it's you. Oh, yeah. Since we're such professionals, that's definitely something we care about. <laughs> Our brand. <laughs> Our brand. Whatever that means. We for definitely sure. aren't like, we have a podcast. Let's do whatever we want. That's, oh, wait, that is exactly what's happening. Oh, right. You're right. So we're making Fuck. the Halloween special. Oh, God. So, did you learn anything new about Halloween? I did learn from watching things. this documentary. I learned uh, more than 
I thought I would, I guess. Same. I think so. My first note is, I hate this narrator. Oh, uh, yeah. He's no Robert Stack. No. He's no whatever his name is from Forensic Files. <laughs> Something Thomas. Not Rob Thomas. That's the singer. That's what I w- always want to say. Yeah. Is it the guy that's saying that horrible song, Smooth? No. <laughs> it's not. It's the other one. That's the other Thomas. Yeah, the narrator... It's not Dave Thomas, that's Wendy's. But it's also a very typical narrator, I feel like. Yeah, it's just like, it doesn't sell it. Yeah. He's fine. My second note is, why aren't I a druid priestess? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, truly. Or a folklorist. That was another observation I I had. That could be my job. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I'm like, how do I quit my job and become a folklorist? Can I just research ghost stories and shit? We're doing that anyway. Yeah, we'll get paid for it. Yeah. Unlike this podcast. Pays us nothing. Yeah. Whatever. It's just we're just podcasters now, I guess. Yeah. No, I would love to be a druid priestess. Yeah. So we learned a lot about sewing. The I'm history say, of Halloween. If I'm saying that right. Yep. So the documentary opens with <clears throat> taking us back three thousand years. And it said centuries before Christ, a tribe of warriors lived in modern day Ireland. They were called the Celts and they were an agricultural community. And then the Druid priestess describes how tough winters are and how they really wanted, they they had a big celebration around the harvest because that's where you thank the earth because all of the gods, for all of their pagan gods were really gods about the earth or the sun or the stars. And when the earth, which is essentially their god, is giving up the bounty sure. for the harvest, they have a celebration it's about that. It's an exciting time of year because winter's going to get meager. So yeah. it's... You can eat in abundance for once. Well, and she described, which is something in modern times we don't have to think about, is that whatever you have after the harvest is what you have for the winter. It's all you can go to the grocery store and just pick up a snack. That's it. What you have in the harvest. That's it. That's all you have. (laughs) That's it. So hope you got enough potatoes. Right. I'm sorry I'm distracted. Lenny Briscoe, my dog right now, is for some reason chewing on the bow on my shoe. (laughs) Lenny. He, he's been so good doing podcast recording usually. and We had a bunch of crackers, and now he, I think he's looking for the crumbs. We're obviously eating off a Ouija board cheese plate. We had ourselves a little nosh, <laughs> and now he's like, oh, delightful. He thinks it's delightful, too. He does. So you might hear his, his tags clinking around. That's yeah, fine. that's okay. Anyway, sorry. So this festival was called Samhain, and it means November in the Celtic language, and it was celebrating the transition between summer and winter. Right, and it was thought that this change of season's time meant that the threshold between the the world that we know it and the spirit world was extra thin. Right. So people who had died in the past year could come and walk the earth. Yep, on this night. So it's it's part harvest, part ghosts, which right. is Halloween. Yeah, so that is the the origin of Halloween as we know it. The Celts also believed that the gods controlled the sun and that the shortening days were a sign of the gods' awesome power. And they built bonfires to honor these gods, which they also used for blood sacrifices. <laughs> so like I said, at this time, they were celebrating the harvest and thanking the gods for giving up their bounty. So they, in return, the Celts would give blood sacrifices back to the gods. And these were cows, horses, or other animals that were thrown onto the bonfires in sacrifice. Which, the way the druid priestess described this, Made, Which I'll take her word for anything. Right. Made a lot of sense to me because their gods were the earth. And to thank the god for giving a sacrifice of themselves, their harvest bounty to the people, 
they would give a significant sacrifice back. And it's not like they had an abundance of cows and horses. These were big, valuable animals. So in killing one, it really was a sacrifice. So that made a lot of sense to me looking back on it. It's a gift exchange. They gave you... You know, the gourds. I keep saying gourds. That's just what I think of as harvest. <laughs> the pumpkins. They gave yeah. you the gourds that you want so desperately. And in return, you're like, thanks, I'm going to throw a cow on the fire. Right. Which it makes sense to me. A lot of people like to think of sacrifices as being really horrific. But in context, it makes sense for their culture. It was a sacrifice, not just of the animal, but for them. Because then they don't have that resource anymore. Yep. And yeah, you burn it in a fire. It's not like you eat it when you're when it's... It's done. You know, I mean... Though some I, fortune telling was done with the entrails. That's true. Ooh. I mean, I would have maybe done a s'more. Yeah, Or a, a marshmallow. You know, a, a lightly toasted marshmallow. I prefer, I'm not like, a, a real blackened... You're a, you're a blackened marshmallow I person. let it, like, burn. Like, it's, on, like, literally on fire. <laughs> and then I blow out the fire I could never do it. that. I it was It's a lot easier to toast your marshmallows that way. But I prefer a true a true toasted. You, on, you on go mine. for the art the artistry. Ugh, yeah, it's fucking hard. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. But that's the origin of bonfires this time of year. Right. Which is Makes interesting. Sense. Yeah. So then they flash forward to some modern day pagans who are... They seem just, chill. Just a bunch of hippies, basically. Yeah. They dance in circles and have like modern day harvest celebrations. Worshipping the earth. Yeah, they involve chanting and lighting fires and it sound looks like a fun party to me. I would go. Pagans, invite us over. And then the documentary flashes back in time because what did, what happened was all these pagans and the Romans, because they had their own version of a harvest celebration, were just having fun parties every fall. Yeah, something that I learned from this special that I did not know before was that the, the origins of apple bobbing comes from ancient Rome. Yeah. It was on it, in honor of the goddess Pomona. Mm-hmm. Let's say her name was Pomona. I think that was how you pronounced it. <laughs> she was the harvest, goddess of fruits. And they had a festival for her, also a harvest festival, around November 1st. Yeah. So that involved bobbing for apples. I always assumed that bobbing for apples was sort of like the cheap person's way to entertain children before there was television. <laughs> but it turns out it's even older than that. Yeah. It's I thought that was kind of cool. Rich tra- a rich tradition. Because it's kind of a lame party game. I mean, it kind of is. But, so I then. Mean, they flash, they tell us a little bit about ancient Rome and how they bob for apples in their their harvest festival. And then they get to the part where the Christians come in and decide that all these pagan gods are the work of the devil. They're such spoil sports. I did. I wrote down, why are Christians such party poopers? And they are till this day. But what they did initially was they sort of repurposed Halloween into a, a Christian holiday. They called it All Souls Day. And it was still a celebration of the dead at harvest time because this was a super popular celebration. They couldn't just... They'd be pretty unpopular if they just said, you can't do this anymore. They knew to pick their battles. Someone used the phrase, one of the experts that's talking in the documentary used the phrase that they baptized the pagan celebrations. Mm -hmm. So they sort of, whatever people were already doing, they were like, oh, and you're doing that in the name of Christ, right? And people were like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) Like, we want to dress up and have bonfires and do all this fun stuff. If you want to say that's in the name of Christ, then I guess that's a compromise. Yep. And that seemed to go over well. They were they'd celebrate the dead, they'd also celebrate saints, and it seemed to be going along fine until the witch scare happened, particularly in the United States. But also the Pope, there was a Pope at the time called Pope Innocence, 
And he... That name's just trying too hard. I think we all know it. Yeah, he declared witchcraft (laughs) as the devil's work. Yeah, there was 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 an earlier witch scare in Europe than in the United States. Mm -hmm. Joan of Arc was burned as the relation in relation to a witch scare, I think. And then the Puritans in America had the Salem witch hunt and subsequent and we Salem all know witch trials. That, that went really well. Good job. Yeah, it went went <laughs> pretty bad. Several people died. However, at the same time in Virginia, the Virginians were having a grand old time celebrating Halloween. They didn't seem to give a shit. They thought that Halloween was the best. They said that Virginia was pretty much the birthplace of modern Halloween. They would tell ghost stories. They would bob for apples. They would have these play parties, they called them, which yeah. looked fucking rad. They looked like near orgies. <laughs> they were, of yeah. people in costumes. Dancing and, and being revelry. crazy. Yeah. Let's bring back the play parties. You they, can kind of already see this sort of like north-south divide in establishing the United States where those Puritans in the north basically hated everything. And then the <laughs> southerners were like, no, we believe in magic and we're going to party. Right. They would do these things called divination games where mostly women would do things like cook some food and see if they would be able to see their future husband's face in the food. There was a creepy one about hanging a wet shirt over your bed while you were sleeping and then supposedly your future husband would like (laughs) fold He would come into your room at night and unfold the sleeve. Why would you want to marry that person? That sounds fucking creepy. In general, I'm like, let's bring these divination games back. They sound really fun. But I wouldn't do it for my future husband. I would Not do it. Not that one, though. I would do it for other things, like yeah, the, the cool long, job I'm gonna get. How or long the is race. Trump gonna be president? <laughs> tell me, please. Tea tell leaves. me. Tell me. Not so much longer. Um, the thing that I found kind of interesting is that as part of the witch scare, this hatred of powerful women, right? Right. The the church starts propaganda that witches worship the devil. Mm-hmm. Which is not true. They worship the earth. Right. I don't think they even believe in a devil, like, is in the Bible. No. So that's just, and it, it shows you how, like, pervasive yeah. that propaganda was. It was so effective. I think people, even today, would even think that witches are fictional. They're not real at all. Or they would think that they worship the devil. But The old hag imagery that was really just propaganda from the church at the time has been really prevalent in our Halloween imagery. Yeah. And they interviewed for this documentary a man who I believe was some sort of um, religious scholar. And he was quoted as saying that what really happened was the church was just really intimidated by anything that involved... Because witchcraft and Wiccan is a female-centric religion. Yeah. And he said that it upset the typical male chauvinist universe that is really centers around male gods. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, there's really no room for women, and the church saw them as an unruly feminine power that tapped into the darkest aspects of Halloween. Which is why they're so great. Yeah, exactly. That's what we think. <laughs> the church at the time. they're amazing. Church. Did not. And it said they even talked about how animals weren't even yeah. free of the wrath of the... Stereotyping. <laughs> yeah, black cats, of course, we're all familiar with. It said that nocturnal by na- nature... The black cats was were seen as a witch's spirit in animal form. Which just makes them cool. Yeah. That sounds cool to me. Bats? This was an interesting factoid. I didn't know this either. Apparently, when they would have these big bonfires, it would attract a lot of insects. Sure. And bats would come out 
to swoop in and eat the insects. And so you would always see bats flying over these Halloween bonfires, and that's how bats became a symbol of Halloween. I just thought it was because they were out at night, but that makes so much more sense. And they're kind of, yeah, kind of creepy looking. And they speculated that that might also attract owls, and that's why owls are also kind of, they're like a more minor Halloween symbol. Kind of, yeah. A little bit. They're also murderers, but yeah. that's a different episode. Also, their heads can just spin around, and that seems ungodly. <laughs> that's creepy. They briefly touched on other Halloween celebrations around the world that have sort of come together to form our modern day Halloween. One of them was Dia de los Muertos or the Day of the Dead celebration from Mexico. Yeah, they touched on that lightly. This was clearly more focused on Anglo-Saxon They really influence. grazed over Day of yeah, the Dead. Yeah, they showed some family picnics and a parade and they talked a little bit about skeleton imagery I did like that they mentioned the difference between the way that the Catholic Church in Mexico handles this right. celebration, where they really embrace it, and it's in sharp contrast to the church outside of Mexico, certainly, especially when, you know, in early days. Yeah. There's a much greater comfort with death as a subject, mm-hmm. clearly. They talked about... Um, Halloween changing after the Protestant Reformation. I didn't know, and this makes me a terrible... I grew up Lutheran. I'm no longer Lutheran, but I... Samantha, you terrible Lutheran. I apparently wasn't paying attention in confirmation class because I didn't know until watching this documentary that Martin Luther posted his thesis on Halloween in 1517. I didn't know that that was that day, and I'm not sure if he did that on purpose. Sure, If I had been paying attention in confirmation class, I'd probably know, but I don't... Um, so that really changed the way. I mean, that... if you don't believe in saints, then you can't have All Saints Day. Then you exactly. can't have Halloween, which yeah. means that Martin Luther was the, the ultimate party pooper, I guess. Kind of, but it also made it more secular. I think that's true. As a result, it divide, div, div, created a divide between right because, like you said, it couldn't really be All Saints Day if most people aren't. Well, most people are Catholic, but if. If a lot of people don't believe in saints, then you can't really have All Saints Day. So right. it really, it changed Halloween significantly. They talked briefly about Guy Fox Day, which you have some experience with from your childhood. A little bit. I lived in England in the 80s. Guy Fox was a Catholic nut job. <laughs> he was very devoted to the Catholic Church and did not appreciate the Church of England, which... No one is really that into the Church of England, (laughs) but he, like, super hated it. So he tried to blow up Parliament because of Protestantism, blah, blah, blah. So Halloween didn't used to be a big holiday in England. I think that's changed more recently. But they would celebrate Guy Fawkes Day uh, sort of around the same time. And that also uses bonfires where they would burn effigies of Guy Fawkes. It's kind of... um, an interesting holiday because it's not really anti Guy Fox. I feel I feel like despite the fact they're burning him, people are like, "Yeah, go Guy Fox! You tried to blow up Parliament. That's awesome." So there's an interesting, <laughs> this is strange. There's an interesting tension there. Um, Having never heard of this holiday, it weirded me out that they said that children were encouraged to make effigies of Guy Fox to burn. Oh yeah, I was like, that's they're weird. Just out, they're just out of straw, though. I guess they don't really look like they're kind of like gingerbread man shaped, but they. Okay. They're not, like, realistic. I mean, kids like burning shit. Everybody shit. likes burning Sounds shit. Fun. And there's a, a tradition where you go around, you ask for a penny for the guy, people give you a pence. They were saying that was the origin of trick-or-treating. I don't know. That seems a little bit of a stretch to me. But Interesting. Maybe it is. 
when I was a, a child in the 80s in England and I threw a Halloween party, uh, nobody really knew what Halloween was. So I was dressed as Chitara from Thundercats <laughs> and every other girl, the little girl that came was dressed as a witch because they thought <laughs> it was the day you dressed as a witch. But I, I think we've sort of spread the Halloween love to the world since yeah. then. And I think it people in Japan celebrate Halloween because everybody likes to dress up. It's everybody, a fun day. Everybody likes to eat candy and everybody likes to not hang out with their family. So... Yeah. That's very popular. Anyway, and this little was- side note about terror- celebrated terrorist Guy Fox. <laughs> that was an interesting part of the documentary. It also talked about how it called, the documentary called it prudish Victorian America trying to tame some of Halloween's darker sides into lighthearted fun. Like carving pumpkins apparently was a darker tradition in Ireland. Something about carving yeah. scary faces and turnips. I'm sure it had some things surrounding the sort of thesis of this documentary is how halloween has been taken from its spookier roots and made into a more child-friendly playful fun time because it didn't really start out spooky like the origins of halloween were basically like ghosts are gonna come back and walk around on the streets and you have to dress up to scare them away. To, Otherwise, or you're blend dead. in with them so they won't be able to tell the difference between yeah. a live person and a dead person. Or fairies who are apparently yeah. murderous Did would you walk know the earth. That fairies will kill you. I didn't until I you. watched this. <laughs> and that there are mounds of rocks in the Irish countryside that are considered fairy mounds, and they would come from those mounds on Halloween and walk, and walk the and... earth and possibly kill you. Yeah. I always thought fairies were great, but. Yes. Forest Do I like them more now that I know they're murderous? Oh, hmm. that's interesting. But it really, truly was had scary origins, and now it's become something much more child. It childish. did make this point of. So we used to carve turnips, which was terrifying. But in America, we carve pumpkins, which, which is, is not terrifying. Not terrifying. I enough. did not understand that whatsoever. I, I'm guessing maybe the turnips just doesn't really look that good. They look scarier. They just looked. Fuck if I know. I don't know. That was a weird (laughs) part of the documentary. But then it moved into talking about how Halloween was taken over by children. However, initially that wasn't really a good thing because it said roving troves of youth roamed the street setting fires in an orgy of arson called the Devil's Night. Yeah. Youths. Roaming youths. Like in the Warriors. Just out, (laughs) hopefully, in little matching gang outfits. Setting fire. Uh, people died though. Like people it died. actually kind of was bad. Uh, somehow a thousand windows were broken in a single night in Queens. Yeah. I think we all remember those Devil's Night stories from Detroit, where whole houses were being burnt down, and yep. it did get pretty scary for a while. Lovely little Anoka, Minnesota, changed all of this around when they were like, you know, what Wait, would be a good idea. Anoka, Minnesota. You mean the Halloween capital <laughs> of the world? Yes. Our very own Minnesota superstar Garrison Keillor made an appearance in this documentary to talk about his hometown, Anoka, and how it's the Halloween capital of the world. But truly, the people in Anoka were smart. They were like, these kids are terrorizing our town. What can we do to stop them? I know. Let's give them candy and throw a parade. You know, and kids it worked. love parades and free candy. Yeah, it fucking worked. And then Halloween as we know it, trick-or-treating as we know it, was kind of boring here. From, and it was like, if you don't want kids burning down your house, you got to give them something else to do. Yeah. Like eat a Snickers bar. Pretty much. So Anoka <laughs> threw the yeah. first civic Halloween parade. And Which, I don't know if that's the footage that we saw from the first one, but it looked so cute. It was just all the yeah. kids walking down the street in their costumes, and they seemed, like, really proud of, I don't know. It was, it was ador- adorable. It was fucking adorable. And then Gar- Garrison Keillor talks about how there's a plaque in the center of town 
that says, you know, Anoka, Minnesota, the birthplace of Halloween. There's a witch on the plaque. Samantha and I need to go. I want to take my picture with this plaque. I, I want to buy a pumpkin there. I just assume it's better than a normal pumpkin. I've never, I never knew that Anoka, Minnesota was the birthplace of Halloween. It's pretty awesome. And I think they probably have sick Halloween parties. Garrison Keeler said that one of the things children were doing as pranks is they were putting a bunch of junk on roofs so it would fall <laughs> off. And they showed this hilarious picture. I want Samantha to screen cap this and put it on Instagram. <laughs> it's this hilarious picture of like two benches propped up on something's roof and then like tin cans and garbage cans. <laughs> so just so it would like fall on you, I guess. It's so funny looking to me. It it's like such funny. an old time like Tom Sawyer-esque prank. Oh They're like, gosh. to prevent this, we'll start trick-or-treating. And Garrison Keillor is so funny. At one point, he said, like, if you've ever fished a Costco load of toilet paper out of your maple tree, you know what it's like to believe in the death penalty. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Which is God. true. I mean, that's... Oh, Garrison. But, like, that's what kids do nowadays. They TP your house. They might, I don't know, fork your yard. Like, it's innocent Wait, what's pranks. that? You don't know what forking? No. You put, like, a ton of forks... In someone's yard, so what? they have to go out and... <laughs> I've never heard of this in my life. <laughs> I didn't even pull these pranks and I know about this. Oh, yeah, it's just Clearly, a, we did not dumb, have this in my area. Like, plastic forks or... Metal forks, I think. Where do you get all these forks? I don't know. That's a good question. I've never done it before, That sounds so. expensive. <laughs> Maybe... I don't know, the Goodwill? I don't... I have no idea where you get all these forks. Maybe it's plastic forks. Since I've never done it, maybe I don't know. But, I mean, I listeners, think the idea... Five listeners, if you've ever forked someone's yard which sounds like a dirty euphemism for something else let us know the specifics whose yard did you fork and why i've heard of egging houses i've heard of peeing here i pulled up oh these are plastic forks okay so you 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 cover someone's yard in forks why oh this is a this is a how-to prank website uh (laughs) difficulty easy Uh uh but time long depending on how precise you are in the size of the yard but then someone just comes out and takes all the forks out, right? Use as many forks as you can. Stick the forks handle into the ground so that the tines are facing up. For the better effect, stick the forks not very close to each other. The more forks you can place in the yard, the better the prank. Voila, forked. Uh, what, is the, what is the point of that? But they have to go pull all the forks out. But it's going to take less time to pull them out than to put them in. <laughs> Unlike TPing, which takes five seconds, but it's a pain to clean up. I mean, maybe you do this if you're not as... You're not as aggressive. But, like, I think people do it with tons of forks. Like, look at all these forks. I, I swear this, this article is not says, TPing your friend's house is so last century. These days, the kids fork yards. I think then we're, they we're seeing a generational divide between me and Samantha right here. <laughs> I'm going to act like I'm a wise old crone. So you can also spray and wreck people's cars. See that? I've heard of. Cover garage doors with post-it notes. But forking, while not really new, seems the most bizarre and least expected trick to play on a friend. It's really just you cover, you cover someone's yard in forks, they have to go pull them all out, and it's a pain in the ass. Huh. Well, if someone forks my yard, I'm going to know it was you, Samantha. <laughs> I don't have that kind of time. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Plus, I get too tired. I have to sleep at night. So the point is, is that... <laughs> is there a point... Or did, oh, we no. just, or did we just teach everyone a cool prank? <laughs> so the idea is, is that Halloween really turned into something that... It's family friendly. It's more family friendly. Um, to they keep show kids a lot off of the streeters. And then we get to the part of the episode that was my favorite part. And that is the controversy around Halloween. Because <gasps> not everyone believes that Halloween is something we should celebrate. 
particularly fundamentalist Christians. Who go around ruining everything. That's their full-time job. <laughs> they show in this documentary a propaganda video called Pagan Invasion. Which, if you had to watch this at your church or youth group or something, <laughs> oh my, please Contact us to commiserate. I want to hear everything. It was everything. hilarious. They show in the, the pagan invasion video, like, druid ceremony. It like, acts reenactments. like. And I'm like, that looks kind of fun. I don't know. Yeah, first of all, it looks great. It looks way more fun than their suggested activity, which was to stay home on Halloween night and pray and talk about, like, how to keep pagans away. Yeah, the guy that they interviewed for this documentary said, Christians can use Halloween night to gather together and talk about the dangers of paganism. Boring! No uh, one wants to do that. I want to put on a, I don't know, a witch costume and go terrorize children. drunk. <laughs> terrorize children. I don't know. But this Samantha's is going to be out forking your yard. I might be Halloween night. But this is the other thing they showed: this hell house, which sounded like an actual fucking nightmare. Yeah, this is a thing, and they still what? exist. Hell houses. I think it's more of a southern thing. It's it like must a, be. I've never heard of this until I watched this documentary, and it looked. I was it's like, definitely like a, I literally a, said, "What the fuck am I watching right now?" <laughs> it's like when a haunted house. You know how 80s cartoons used to have, like, a moral at the end? <laughs> Where, like, G.I. Joe would tell you, like, look well with both ways before you cross the street. And you'd be like, thanks, G.I. Joe. It's like if a haunted house had a moral. So <laughs> instead of just it being, like, the scary clowns coming out with you with chainsaws, it's sinners reminding you not to it go to hell. It depicted the dangers of sinning. But what they showed in the documentary was an actual fucking nightmare. At one point, they showed this guy in an electric chair who had his back to this rotating wall. And so at one point, you're seeing this actual man sitting in this chair pretending to be electrocuted, screaming bloody murder. And then the wall rotates and there's another man who's supposed to be the same guy in the same chair, but he's charred black and yeah. then and dead. And then there's a guy in a bed who's supposed to be possessed by a demon and he has a demon bursting out of his stomach with all this sure, blood. You don't, you don't want that. He's Samantha, screaming. Except Christ. There's, of course, the depiction of abortions. Yeah, they didn't really show that. They just showed people going into a room where it was like... This is where the... This is where the room of misinformation that shows you how terrifying it I is to have an abortion. Even trying to imagine what it... How they must have depicted that abortion makes me a little queasy. I assume it's done by a clown. And oh, I fuck. probably <laughs> I assume it's really bloody. This is what happens at abortion clinics. Not true at all. They probably like caught the baby in half with a chainsaw that's, or something. It, that's really a fucking nightmare. And yeah. I wrote down, why would you rather send your kids to that than to the neighbor's house to get candy? You're scaring them into the arms of the Lord. <laughs> you're doing you're saving their soul, Samantha. Fuck. If my friend Justin is listening. I have no idea if he is. He is like a connoisseur of the Hell House. I know he's <laughs> really. He's, he will drive like a long way to get to a good Hell House. Wow. I wonder if there's one in Minnesota. I bet it's it's not. There isn't. I, I feel like people are just like too nice here, <laughs> and you sort of like. You know, I think people are brought to the Lord more through like size and <laughs> and sh- and, and subtle shaming than. <laughs> absolute terror oh but um yeah the hell house is he you know spoke very highly of the experience i thought i would get too angry and like throttle someone so i i have not been to one i just cannot believe this is the place you would send your children to go on it has a positive message under all that gore samantha do you want your children to have 900 abortions (laughs) or become homosexual yeah right they 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 deal with 
the the themes of the day, uh, the not the not problems sure of the Hell day. Hell, I'm sure Hell Houses today are probably even more bananas. Oh, I, I it seems like one of those things you got to up it every year, right? So oh I think there's usually like a depiction of hell. Oh so right, that, right. So that so you, you know, know where what's going to happen to you to not you... go to hell because you might think. Well, obviously, all the coolest people are going to go to hell, so why don't I just go there <laughs> where I can do whatever I want? You Ugh. know, I want to smoke, so <laughs> that's what people do in hell. I don't know. Probably. What I do they know. What do they tell children these days? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I want to I smoke with a, a bunch of homosexual. I'm like, yeah, that, obviously, all the cool people are going to be in hell. Sounds like it. So they have to scare you out of it, I think. My God. That was everything I had written down. For the documentary, did you have anything else that stood out to you? Uh, I wrote down McGruff is totally Robert Stack because <laughs> they had a little picture of someone in a, like McGruff furry suit talking, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, he's try he's totally trying to be Robert Stack. The kids in costumes, I just thought were so adorable, so cute. I also they talked about how baby boomers were like because of they canceled Halloween for the war. That's they canceled Halloween for the war because so sad things were being rationed. But then baby boomers really embraced Halloween because suddenly everyone had money and blah, blah, blah. So it's really them that made it like an established, important holiday. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote down, uh, baby boomers embraced Halloween. It's their fault. I'm a spooky bitch. <laughs> <laughs> like, sometimes I feel like boomers are like, what's wrong with you? Like, why aren't you an adult? Why aren't you blah, blah, blah? It's like, mm, it's your fault. You shouldn't have embraced Halloween and made it such a big holiday because... I, some people have, like, really fond childhood memories of Christmas, but my, like, fond childhood memories are very Halloween-focused. So, clearly, I've just tried to... I'm in no hurry to grow up, obviously, <laughs> and I'm just trying to extend that to all aspects of my life. I love it. I really loved, as a kid, I don't even know if this still exists, but they used to have this catalog called Oriental Trader or Oriental Trading, mm-hmm, which was just... It. Cheap bullshit yep. that you could buy in bulk <laughs> <laughs> for some reason. It was like party supplies and yeah. and decorations and stuff like that. And me and my brother for Halloween sitting down with that catalog, like picking out what decorations we wanted. Like, <laughs> oh my God, that was the best. If I could just awesome. do that forever, please. Oh, the one other thing that they mentioned in the documentary was the... Um, tampered Halloween candy Oh, scare. we should definitely talk about that. Yeah, because, and I liked that they, because as soon as I saw this come up, I'm like, oh no, this is going to be a uh, over-the-top scare tactic type thing. And it, they didn't, they actually said that there was never really any kind of danger no. with Halloween candy. There still isn't. I mean, when I was a kid, my parents looked through my Halloween candy. Oh, my mom absolutely looked through my Halloween candy and then would be like, oh, this one has like a slight tear in it. I'm throwing it away. And I would go, no, that's Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Yeah. I'll risk it. <laughs> like, Obviously, it's worth it. Like hospitals would open up on Halloween. You could bring in your yeah. kids, like your candy sack to Man, be x-rayed. I didn't know that. I was like, I think that our po- you could take it to the police mm-hmm. department. And they had an x-ray set up to make sure there were not any very visible Needles razor blades. Or razor blades. <laughs> and the thing in your is, bars. which they touched on in the documentary, is yeah, that did happen. It's not like it was completely fabricated. But the people who are poisoning candy or putting razor blades in apples or pins and needles in candy bars were kids' own parents. Yeah. It wasn't actually random strangers just like, I'll kill any child. It was people trying to kill children they knew. Kill their own kids or hurt their own kids. Which is that worse? I don't know. I kind of think it is. I don't know. (laughs) Because once upon a time, people would make treats. Like, people would make.
make like caramel apples or popcorn balls or whatever to give mm-hmm. to children, which sounds like so sweet and nice. But and then after this, this it was ruined like, it for everyone. Yeah, it's like, no, you have to go buy some commercial product and hand mm-hmm. out Reese's peanut butter cups or don't be that person that gives out a dum dum. <laughs> no kid wants that. No kid wants that. No kid wants a toothbrush. Yeah. I'm looking at you, dentist next there, door. There definitely was a dentist in my neighborhood that gave out toothbrushes, and I was like, my parents buy these for me. Also, I have my own dentist, this who's isn't gonna, not you, Yeah, and he gives me a toothbrush. But then there was always the cool houses that gave out, like, cans of pop or full-size candy bars. There was always rumors that if you went to, like, the rich neighborhood... I grew up by a lot of rich kids, and they were always like, oh, you have to come to our neighborhood because you get, like, full-size. That's true. Yeah, my cousins lived in a rich neighborhood. That and we, was really we, true. we specifically went there to trick-or-treat because they lived in a richer neighborhood than we did, and we got we got full-size candy bars. There was only one house that gave out full-size candy bars, but you always made multiple stops. I'm sure they knew that, too. <laughs> they just wanted to brag. Like, we're the house that gives out full-size candy bars. I mean, most houses, really the real reason we went there is because there was just more houses, so we got more candy, but... Um, Minor detail. And most of the houses did give out normal also, candy. Also, they're rich. They should be giving out candy. Yeah, but then there was... They can the, afford it. There was the one house that gave out cans of, <laughs> cans of pop, and then one house that gave out... I don't remember getting any pop. Bars. Someone gave out apples. And I think those mostly just got thrown back at the house. <laughs> um, ooh, whoever gave out, like, Lisa Frank Halloween pencils. Oh, with yeah. The, like, eraser top that looks like a neon spider or whatever. Those are always exciting. Hell, yeah. I kind of want to get some of those and give them out, even though I'm sure every kid is like, I don't want a pencil. But I was really <laughs> excited about it. Oh, or yeah. Or stickers. I was, too. So that was this documentary. I think that's all we have to say about we'll it. We'll put up a link if you're interested in watching it. I did yeah. learn some things. It's it's kind of cheesy. It doesn't have the best. I feel like a PBS documentary, they really like take the time to source out good images from before photography. So they'll go through museum archives and find etchings and tapestries and stuff. And this documentary. This did some of it, but not a it lot. It seemed like some of it was like from a coloring book. I'm not even kidding. Some or of like it did. a clip art of this is what a jack o' lantern looks like. And you're like, thanks. Like, Maybe work a little harder. But I did learn some things. I think the 90s-ness of it gives it, it a little It was charming. It's yeah, charming. It really was. We'll put a link in the show notes so you can go watch it if you're interested. There's also so apparently a, an updated version that aired in 2012. I don't care about that at we all. Didn't, we didn't watch that one. but Nope, not interested. Uh, we also have some listener ghost stories. Oh, yes. But first, I have a question for you. Yes. There is talk that... Unsolved Mysteries is going to be rebooted. That's right. I know what you're getting at. And this is a great time to do it in the Halloween special. Who do you want to be the new host? So you posed this question to me a while ago. and I, I mean, just, it's all I think about, really. I'm not the kind of person that knows a lot of people in pop culture. So it took me a while to think of, of a person. And in the end, I really ended up just like fan fictioning it out and being like, <laughs> who would I, if I could cast it just by who I would like to see more on television talking about murder stories and i was like rupaul obviously oh yeah he would be great yeah ru would be awesome they'll never get him but that would be amazing no but that'd be awesome um i also posed this question to travis and as we were sort of puzzling it out we discovered that and pause your your podcast app right now and go to the imdb (laughs) for just pick one any of the law and orders yeah. And just randomly pick out a character. I guarantee you can picture them hosting Unsolved I mean, Mysteries. I would love a Sam Watterson hosted yeah. Unsolved Mysteries. That would be divine. Travis and I both agreed that we we would like iced tea, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's a very realistic pick. 
Yeah. Like, they might honestly get him. I don't think he's got a gig going on right now. And I could be wrong about that. he's got great name recognition. Yeah, he's got a good voice. I, I don't want him to do it, but yeah, I feel I, like... I don't know if he'd be my first choice, but I, I feel like I it's picture it... possible. Yeah. So I mean, what, yeah. What about you? What do you? Who do you think could do I mean, it? I think my ideal choice is Jillian Anderson. I guarantee she has better things to do. <laughs> she probably does not want to do that. But I just, that would be a dream come true. That also relates to one of my best childhood Halloween costumes. Oh, let's hear it. Where, so here's the thing, Samantha. There was a time in my youth, for probably about two years, where, God help you, if you wanted to talk to me about something that was not the X-Files. <laughs> I was so obsessed that... My parents honestly probably should have been concerned. It was all I would talk about. It was all I did. I managed to incorporate that into every single facet of my life. I upstairs still have an X-Files scrapbook. That's I will, amazing. I will admit that to you, five listeners, because I needed, I needed to collect all the little tiny clippings of many magazines anyway. <laughs> of course, one year I went as an FBI agent. Nice. And my friend Olivia even made me like an ID card with my photo on it, which seemed at the time like very computer savvy. <laughs> this was a while ago. So anyway, because of my previous X-Files addiction, which I'm over it, but now I host a show about Unsolved Mysteries. So you can see the influences. Yes. So embarrassing. Anyway, Jillian Anderson. Would be your Not pick. David Duchovny. <laughs> I don't want him to do it, by the way. I was right that Jillian Anderson was completely amazing, and I was right to cover my bedroom with photos of her. I was not right about David <laughs> He's not amazing, and I don't want him to host it. If someone else from the X-Files did, like the guy that played Skinner or the sure. Smoking Man or something, that would be kind of cool. Sure, cool. Um, I'd like to hear who our listeners think could yeah. host Unsolved Mysteries if, it was, if it's rebooted. I think... I don't know that they could get John Waters, but I know he's a <laughs> true crime buff, and yeah. he would bring like a very different spin He'd to be it. Great! I know he used to host before true crime got big. He used to host a true crime show mm-hmm. that I think was specifically about couples where murder was involved. I think so. That rings a bell. He used to go to trials and just watch them. So, which is something we should start doing. Which, that yeah, great. I mean, I'm not a huge John Waters movie fan, but as a person. I, I would really consider him, like, a sage. And if he does it, it's like, well, then <laughs> it is a great, great idea. It's, like, total validation whenever I find out something I like. John Waters awesome. And I was like, oh, thank God. I'm fine. I don't have to worry anymore. Um, I mean, Robert Stack has big shoes to fill. Dennis Farina oh, did not do that. So no, we did. He, he was on Law & Order, and he, I don't know that he's so great. Oh, you're right. That kind of blows away my theory that anyone from Law & Order could do it. But the other person I was going to say, and this... Maybe people have no idea who I'm talking about, which is often true, but I would love for Lance Henriksen yeah. <laughs> to host it. And you're going, Liz, I don't know who that is. Well, he's a super old man <laughs> who, uh, he's Bishop from Aliens. He's in Pumpkinhead. Duh. I cannot tell you how many times I've been at a party and I've brought up Lance Henriksen and someone goes, who's that? And I honestly like get mad. <laughs> This reveals so much about me. And then start lecturing them about Lance Henriksen's life and career. And they're like, wow, I really didn't care about any of that. But he just has this very gravelly voice. So I think he has the gravitas that Robert Stack has. Sure. He might might be a little too old. And I don't know that he would want to do it. But I think he would be great. Because it would make even the magic rock mystery sound (laughs) 
So intense. You know when they remade that movie when a stranger calls and it's uh-huh. like that. He's that voice. Oh, okay. So his voice is just creepy, and yeah. he is, has a very like weathered face because <laughs> he lived like a super. I know way too much about this. He lived like a super hard life, and he used to be homeless for his youth and like slept under bridges and was illiterate until he was like thirty. He was once sent to the brig. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So wow. I feel like. They should bring back Unsolved Mysteries because we have been learning. They solved a lot of cases. Yeah. And, I, I mean, we need that. <laughs> Let's crowdsource some of these cold case crimes. Yeah, totally. And if we could get that many people to watch it again, which that seems like the biggest if. Yeah. They should go like, oh, you're looking, crime, though, you're looking for really... Larry? He's down the street. And then we'll get him, you know? Right. So listeners, that was a, that tell was a us, long thing of me babbling. Thanks for listening, listeners, and let us know. Tell us who you think who would you like? should be the host of Unsolved Mysteries. Should it, it be rebooted. me and Samantha? Yes. <gasps> no, that would never happen. No, I'm sure they Probably hate not. us for having this podcast. <laughs> I'm certain that they do. Whatever. <laughs> so the last thing we're going to do is read some of your ghost oh, stories. Ghost stories. Liz, do you want to read one first? Yes. I have one from listener Gretchen. So listener Gretchen writes in to say, while I was in grad school at Iowa State, I went on a haunted walking tour of campus, which was that sponsored by her school? That sounds awesome. Fuck yeah. And one of the stops was an old farmhouse, which is in the middle of campus and now holds offices. I don't remember why it was on the tour, but I do remember walking up a very narrow black staircase and a woman in a white lab coat passed me without touching me. I don't think there was any way two people could pass on those stairs without touching, unless one of those people is a ghost, of course. That's all the information we got. Wow. I think Can you imagine? The detail about her wearing a white lab coat is very interesting, because it's so specific. Right. And not something you usually hear in a ghost story. Yeah. She wasn't wearing, like, a white flowing gown or something. Yeah, I like the lab coat detail. Thanks. Did you ever go to sleepaway camp? No. So I- I'm... <laughs> Not rich or cool. Go on. <laughs> I did go to a sleepaway camp, and um, I feel like all of these camps have, like, the spooky building with a ghost story. And the one I went to was no different. It had gotten so big that they had purchased the land next door to the camp. And on the land was a house, a really old, creepy house. Uh-huh. And they turned that into a dormitory for kids to sleep in that are at this camp. Do you think they purchased that house just so kids would have something to tell ghost stories about? They might have, because of course there were <laughs> ghost stories about people hanging themselves in the closet. And you would, if you got that dorm, you were super scared. Because also you had to go through like some woods to get there. And it was sort of separate from the rest of the camp. Sure. Well, I wouldn't be sleepaway camp without that. Oh my God. So you would go and sing camp songs and do games in the barn with all the other kids and then at the end of the night you had to go back to your dorm and you had to go through this creepy woods and sleep in this creepy house and of course you sat up the rest of the night telling ghost stories and being fucking terrified and the last year I went to that camp I got assigned to that dorm and yeah it was fucking terrifying I don't know if I slept the whole week of course it was was so scary but that's how all camps are you know you have these ghost stories and you sit up all night telling each other about them that's just a built-in activity, like basket weaving or canoeing. It's like, and this <laughs> is the part stories. where you all get the crap scared out of you. <laughs> of course. It's just course. part of a camp experience. You know, you make out in the woods a little, <laughs> you sing around a fire, you think someone is chasing you and is going to smother you in your sleep. Yeah, the ghost of whoever. The ghost of whoever. So our next one comes from listener Jessica. 
She says, hello, perhaps it's you. You asked for ghost stories, and although I have many, I thought I would just tell you about my childhood self-inflicted haunting. Uh, we want the rest of those ghost stories, by the hey, way. Don't be stingy with your Jessica, ghost stories, Jessica, if you want to come on the show, you are always welcome. After watching The Craft one too many times, completely understand, been there, done that, mm-hmm. I would routinely hold seances in my parents' basement, also been there, done that, <laughs> where I chose to keep my bedroom instead of above ground like decent human beings. <laughs> in my purple walled witch den next to the sump pump i would sit in a tight circle with my sister and best friend sam with candles lit and invoke spirits into our bodies sure as you do one fateful fateful evening we were playing seven doors which is a game where you enter a trance-like state and imagine a corridor of doors i've never heard of this behind one door you would see your biggest fear I was the lucky one, and in a full trance, and as I cracked the door in my imagination, I saw a man with long black hair slitting my throat. I began to cry IRL, which she put in helpful parentheses in real life. (laughs) Thanks, Jessica. And my sister, who was holding my hand, described out loud and in perfect detail the man and his terrifying smile, as well as the gory scene. That's so crazy. Yes, she goes on to say that although I had not watched Twin Peaks, there was clearly a Bob-esque resemblance. I broke the trance, which may be why the scary spirit would continue to haunt me as I slept in the basement through my teen years. The lights would- Stop sleeping in the basement! This is the first mistake. The lights would turn on and off unexpectedly. I once woke up feeling the weight of a person pinning down my shoulders. I couldn't move, and I saw that the covers had been neatly taken off my my chest, but my arms were paralyzed and under the sheets still. Another time, I woke up to the sound of an object being dragged against the wall, and then something fell and shattered. But nothing was there when I got the courage to go investigate. I have always felt that it was that throat slitter dude trapped in some kind of hell in my parents' basement. I still run up the stairs when exiting the basement because my real biggest fear is having my Achilles heel sliced when trying to get away from the dark energy. Totally. Yeah, understandable. I feel bad that I brought this spirit into my parents' house, (laughs) but now I sleep upstairs so I don't have to worry about it when I visit. Um, She goes on to say that attached are a few solid screenshots from a Kate Bush-Peter Gabriel duet... (laughs) Where the whole music video, they are just hugging each other and slowly spinning on a lazy Susan. I love the podcast. Keep it up. <laughs> I think that was specific for me. <laughs> it's um, a nice little palate cleanser after this really terrifying story. Jessica, so I was so creepy. I'm surprised you even survived your, your childhood. Your parents need to sell, sell that house. Oh, or you or need just to burn get... it down. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly. You need to get a druid priestess to burn some sage in there. Yeah fast you owe your parents like a big apology <laughs> for bringing an evil spirit into their house but we- real talk right now how many times did you have a sleepover and tried to evoke spirits okay or do we some sort of seance we had a couple ouija board times i can't mm-hmm. remember who owned a ouija board but jenny h who i'm sure is not listening <laughs> but she was always moving the planchette <laughs> and she admitted it later she was always claiming that kurt cobain was talking to us <laughs> he was not no we did the ouija board thing and didn't ha- we didn't have any b- results but we did try the you know the craft type thing where you one person lays down and you, you know oh, light as a feather stiff yeah. as a board that mm-hmm. try, we did that you try and levitate we did bloody mary in the bathroom <laughs> some of my friends claim they saw bloody mary i your friends are liars i never had the courage to do it <laughs> but to this day i still have to turn on the light in the bathroom the thing is if you're doing light as a feather stiff as a board as a tiny little girl what do you weigh <laughs> Like sixty pounds. You got ten other girls. And you around got ten you. other girls picking you up, 
Yeah, that's why you can pick it up. <laughs> like, I realized that because we were like, oh, my God, it's work. No, it's, it's just we were tiny little sticks. I mean, don't weigh anything. <laughs> it wouldn't work now. Uh, uh, yeah, no, no one's going to levitate me now. Bought, I recently bought a 90s glow-in-the-dark Ouija board, nice. which had not been opened because I think we alluded to this some other time in the podcast. We had a craft night. Oh, yeah, yep. Not where we made crafts, where we had where women we watched over the to watch the craft. <laughs> And I had bought this Ouija board, and then people were like, no, Liz, let's not fuck with that. I was down for fucking with it, but... But you know what? After hearing this story, I think we were smart. I think so, too. Yeah, our our friends were smart. I'm just going to hang it on the wall. Let's not mess with it. I don't want my house possessed by an evil (laughs) Bob-esque throat slasher dude. Yep. Nope. All right. You want to read the other one? Yes. This is a good one. This is from listener Shawnee. (laughs) the subject is potential ghost story or whatever. (laughs) If it doesn't count because it's not my personal experience, feel free to ignore it. No, I love this story. I'm not ignoring it at all. (laughs) All right. This story came from my mom because I haven't experienced any paranormal activity yet. Appreciate the word yet. It can still happen. I grew up hearing this story, so I feel it's pretty legit. This does have religious undertones because my mom is. When I was, oh, sorry. When my mother was 12, she lived in a duplex with her single mother and two siblings. It was late at night and my grandmother was in the bathroom taking a shower upstairs. Therefore, the only light was coming from the bottom of the closed door in the bathroom. My mom was walking up the stairs to go to bed in semi-darkness. She looked up and notices a figure in front of her that is blacker than the semi-darkness around her. Oh. Once she noticed the figure, she realized she couldn't move. What? But that's not all. When she attempted to speak, she felt the black figure begin to suck her in. But she wasn't physically moving at all. Whoa. She starts praying in her head, and seconds later, the black figure was completely gone. My mom credits this to a demon. Okay. okay. Yep. Sure. So, <laughs> since I didn't experience this, I don't know for sure, but I figured it would be a cool story for Halloween. It fucking is. Yeah, that's- you... You figured exactly right. I have not heard a story like this. Oh, my God. It's wacky and terrifying. Just the image of a dark figure that's darker than the darkness around them. Sucking you into it? Fucking yikes. And your mom's just trying to take a shower? Yeah, that's really scary. And clearly, this is, like, accepted family lore. So I see no reason to doubt it. That's a really good story. It's a creepy one. It's a creepy one. Thanks for sending that in. We have one more, and it's from friend of the pod, Rochelle. Hi, Rochelle. Hi, Rochelle. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sending in your story. Jesus Christ. (laughs) We're a little bit cursed today. Right before I started recording, I managed to fail to reheat a quiche and (laughs) break the door to my refrigerator in the span of like two minutes. Something is cursing us today because this is also the second time we've recorded this podcast. Oh, I wasn't going to admit that, but yes. We did this whole thing and it didn't record. And then I got up and broke the fridge, broke the fridge and ruined a quiche. So we decided to eat a donut instead and redo it. Which I, yeah, I feel fine about that. But anyway. So <laughs> Rochelle says, My ghost slash what the fuck time in Edinburgh, Scotland. She said, All right, here's my weird moment. Totally going to date myself here, but I went on a trip to the UK right after graduating in June 2004. And it was to England, Scotland, and Wales. She says, yeah, fun stuff. I'm a history nerd and I like British things. <laughs> and looking we know, back on Rochelle, it, we know. 
And looking back on it, we went on a Jack the Ripper tour in which the tour guide was creeped out about how much I knew about Jack the Ripper. I love that so much. That's that a really great detail. The guy was basically like, you should be giving this tour considering how much creepy shit you know about Jack the Ripper. <laughs> so she said, after a few weeks of seeing castles, monuments, and old shit, to be cultured and to blow our tiny minds with awesomeness, like you do, you start getting a little bit bored of all of the history stuff you see. There's a real thing in like the world of museums called museum fatigue. Yeah. Which is like you can't take in any more information because you're so overwhelmed by cool stuff. So it sounds like Rochelle had hit museum fatigue. I think so. She said, so we went to Edinburgh, Scotland and spent the first half of the, of the day at the ending Edinburgh Castle the one that's connected to Braveheart and a military stronghold. And then we walked down the Royal Mile. Uh-huh. She said, so aside from being with my group and looking forward to seeing the Holly Rood Abbey and painting exhibit later, I was kind of drifting out of the tour and just looking around by myself when I noticed a youngish woman, maybe 7 to 20, in a green dress slowly walking behind the rest of the group. She didn't seem to grab anyone else's attention, and I thought it was a little bit odd that a lady in a dated darker green dress wouldn't at least get a double take from someone besides myself. Then I thought, well, it must just be one of the reenactors or tour guides who must be required to dress the part. Sure. And I shook my feelings of unease and kept up with the group. She followed us for a bit around the main area, and I expected her to comment or to speak up at some point, but she didn't, and she stayed with us for about five minutes. But as soon as we were going towards the kitchens, she suddenly wasn't around anymore. I counted it as vaguely off-putting, but nothing too odd, until I started talking to my UK trip buddies, and they said that they hadn't seen the lady at all. And then besides, no one at the Holyrood Palace dressed up to recreate the time period, which is what she originally assumed. Right. So it was strange that a woman would be walking around in dated garb. I mean, I rarely do that. She said, I didn't see a flash of light or hear a voice or anything. Um, But essentially no one else saw her. Right. And she said, to this day, I'm not sure what I saw, but I was there and I observed it and I know it was real. So I think it was a fucking ghost myself. Sounds right to me. It's creepy. Yeah, totally. She saw it as plain as day and no one else did. And then everybody was like, what the hell are you talking about, Rochelle? Yeah. And then she went off to study more about Jack the Ripper, I assume. These sound like places that are definitely probably haunted. So I mean, if anywhere is going to be haunted, it's going to be a giant fucking castle like that. Yeah. So that makes total sense to me. Total sense. Those were the ghost stories we picked out to read. Thank you to everyone who sent them in. Yeah. Continue to send in either ghost stories or mysteries. If you had a mystery in your hometown or where you went to school or where you grew up, let us know. We'd love to hear about it. And if we get more stories, we might do like mini episodes or bonus episodes. incorporate them in the future or something. I would love to hear what mystery captivated your town or maybe just what's your favorite mystery and what is something that you always think about and you would love to solve. Write in to tell us all those. Our email is perhaps it's youpodcast at gmail.com. If something fucking interesting happened to you, you think you saw a UFO. You were on a jury of a weird case. I don't know. We'd love to hear it. And it doesn't have to be you specifically. If you have like a family legend, like Shawnee does, we'd love to hear those too. Yes, this totally counts. And I'm glad that she sent in this weird demon that was in her mom's house. 
<laughs> and yeah, absolutely. If that happened to your mom or your mom went to prom with Robert Stack, like, <laughs> fuck yeah, tell us tell about that. Us, tell us about it. That would be amazing. Do you, Samantha, have a ghost story? I had what I, what was probably a dream as a very young child, but I can, it was a ghosty dream. Maybe it was a ghost. Basically, when I was really young, I was terrified to sleep in my own bed, which a lot of kids are. Sure. So I would sleep between my parents and their bed. And one night I was laying in their bed and I got this strange feeling that I just need to, needed to look towards the door, like over the top of where my dad was sleeping. Uh-huh. And I did. And laying there, I saw a girl wearing a blue dress, laying on her side. And she smiled up at me and said hello and totally freaked me the fuck out. Well, sure. And I laid back down. And I think I even remember, like, my mom or dad kind of waking up and being like, why are you flailing around? <laughs> Let us sleep, Samantha. So, uh, and then I laid there for a while, and then I got the courage to look back, and there was nothing there. I could have dreamt this. This was from a time in my life when I was really young. You don't remember a lot of things it from then. It seems so specific, though. So, maybe it was a ghost. I never had any other paranormal experiences in that house, although it was a pretty old house. I was scared of the basement, but it was just a creepy, unfinished basement. Everyone's scared of those. Paranormal experiences? My paranormal experience might also be a dream. So, when I was in, uh, I guess, fourth or fifth grade, I was sleeping, and I woke up, and I saw my grandmother, who had passed away a couple years before, sitting on the end of my bed, like, past my feet, and... She told me that she was fine and not to worry and that she was proud of me, you know, like all these very positive things. And I went and I woke my mom up and I told her what was happened. And I was apparently like elated. Like my mom had like never seen me happier. Like I was just glowing and like really at peace. And I for years thought that my grandmother had come to visit me as a ghost. As an adult, I talked to a woman that works at a hospice and this is apparently a very common dream oh. that people have as part of the grieving process, that you have a dream that you've woken up, even though you're still sleeping, and that your deceased loved one is sitting at the end of the bed. And that's oh. kind of interesting that it's so specific. It's so vivid that you think you actually are awake. So you think you actually are awake, and that it sort of helps you move on. And it's sort of a way, your brain's way of, of letting go of some stuff. Oh. So I mean, that's sweet time, in a way. I really believed that it was... Her ghost. I don't believe it was her ghost now, okay. but um, it's still a sweet dream. Yeah, it's kind of a sweet dream, and I, I guess I was very convincing as a child that I had seen this <laughs> ghost. My mom was like, I, I, "You don't seem like you're lying about this. You seem very moved by this experience." The only other thing I have, and it's not a great story, like this demon on a staircase story, but when my brother was getting married. I was in the wedding party, and bridesmaids have to get there super goddamn early. <laughs> That's true. To, to get ready, to get your hair done, to get your makeup done, whatever. So we were at the wedding venue before anyone else, you know, putting on our makeup or whatever. And me and one of the other bridesmaids distinctly heard snoring from the other room. Oh. And we were like, oh, that's probably so-and-so. Ha, ha, ha. That's really funny. We kept doing what we were doing. The snoring continued. And eventually, we went to look in the next room to see who it was. And there was no one there. And it turned out there was no one else in the entire building. We were the first people to get there. So Whoa. is that a ghost? Is that just a weird thing Sounds that like happened? It to me. I mean, I don't know why a ghost would be sleeping, but I don't, it was so distinctly that noise. And both of us were like, yeah, that's snoring. <laughs> why would a ghost be sleeping? Do they take I naps? Know. I don't know. And it wasn't spooky. Like we thought it was funny. 
But it's interesting that there were two of you there that both distinctly heard snoring. And then there was no one else there. So it's not like it was likely a malfunction. Or, yeah. or I don't know what. It was I don't know what else would be making that noise. I, I assume there's a rational explanation. I just don't know what it is. It's just a weird spooky. thing that happened. I believe it was a ghost. Sure. And it was in kind of an old building that's part of this horse farm thing that's been converted for events and weddings and whatever. Okay. So I, I don't know the history of that building, but it has been around for a while. Maybe. I don't know. Some stable boy fell asleep on the job and got stabbed. <laughs> the owner was like, God damn you, work. I don't know. That's, I don't know. I told my brother about it later, and he was like, that's dumb. But he didn't think it was a ghost, and I I don't know. Maybe it was. Maybe else? it was. Probably wasn't. That's my only other ghosty story, though. That concludes this episode. Do you have a I recommendation so. for our, oh, our I listeners? Almost, I almost forgot. We're giving recommendations. Yes, yes, yes. I um, never thought I would say this, Samantha. My recommendation is a hashtag. <laughs> Are you serious? I never thought you would say this I, either. Whoa. Okay, what is this hashtag? And it's not the hashtag, perhaps it's you. Or oh, even, okay. perhaps it's me, a hashtag <laughs> you should use all the time. No, my, <laughs> my suggestion is... Comes from Mab Graves, who is an American artist. She lives in Indianapolis. She is known for, I guess you would call it pop surrealism. She does very detailed drawings and paintings. She also does some fiber art that use figures and dinosaurs and these oh. kind of, not always dinosaurs, but sometimes. They have sort of like a spooky edge, but they're also kind of cute. Anyway. Every year for October, for the past few years anyway, she's been hosting what's called Mab's Drawloween Club. So that's the hashtag that I'm recommending is oh, okay. Mab's, with an S, Drawloween. Is this on Instagram? Or? I would recommend looking at it on Instagram. Okay. That tag might work on some other things, but it's really an Instagram-based thing. So similar to... It, Inktober and a couple other artsy okay. hashtag things yep. that go on this month. Um, she gives you a prompt for each day of October, like Wolfman or Ectoplasm. And then tons of artists will draw something based on that subject. Um, I'm recommending cool. it because so many super talented artists are doing it. And it's a great way to find new artists. If you're particularly if you're interested in things there are a little bit spooky. Um, there's a whole range of stuff. There's drawings. There's paintings. People are sewing. People are making sculptures. Oh yeah. So I typed in Mabs in the search and Instagram, and it's the first. The hashtag is the first thing that comes up. So it's really easy to find. And yeah, there's different mediums. Some people are sculpting, and there's, there's the I amount see some cool watercolors. We must challenge. be an alien day because these are all aliens. <laughs> yeah, I think today's alien. The one I've enjoyed most so far was Mothman. Oh, cool. That's a sort of obscure yeah, legend. That's not. Uh, I just think of that movie with Richard Gere. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I someone drew Richard Gere, and I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> um, the amount of talent that people have for this blows me away. I don't these know how really cool. people are making a beautiful people's person. A beautiful work of art every single day. That's crazy to me. I'll never be that prolific ever. Um, but it's a great way to discover new artists. I don't know if this is common knowledge, but if you were to buy a piece of artwork in a gallery or a store, usually the store takes 40 or 50%. 
So wow, that is a ton. A lot of that is going to the business for like their rent and you know whatever their expenses. Right. And then the artist is getting. 60 or 50 percent so if you're buying something like through someone on instagram or even etsy though etsy does take some fees a lot more of that's going to the artist but that also means it's cheaper right yeah so i find like instagram is a really great way to discover new artists and because of this hashtag with so many cool people participating i've started following a lot of new people and following just discovering a bunch of great artists i'd never heard of before so and i feel like for the perhaps it's you listener it's going to be sort of aesthetically something you might be into because a lot of them are oh, yeah, totally. a little bit spooky. Totally. So that's my one-time recommending a hashtag, and it'll <laughs> maybe it'll happen again. Maybe. I don't know. Never say never. Never say never. That's cool. So my recommendation isn't Halloween themed. I should have thought of something that is. It doesn't matter. I mean, I'm going to recommend something that I'm ex- really enjoying lately, and it's a book. It is the book "Working Stiff: Two Years, 262 Bodies, and the Making of a Medical Examiner." The book is by Judy Melanick and TJ Mitchell. Judy Melanick is the medical examiner in the book. It documents her becoming a medical examiner and training to be a medical examiner in New York. And it is really good. I honestly didn't expect it to be this good. I thought it would be kind of dry and not very entertaining. And it's really not. If you're like me and you have sort of a morbid curiosity. (laughs) and I assume most of our listeners do. But honestly, I think this book is approachable to other people as well. If you also are just interested in the human body or medicine or science, I think you would also really like this book. It's, she writes in a way that is very approachable to the average person. You don't have, you know, she doesn't write in lofty medical jargon. She writes in plain language. It's funny at times. She's very matter of fact about death in a way that's not disrespectful. It's just, this is what happens. People die, and this is how we have to either figure out how they died or collect evidence to catch their murder. You can imagine working as a medical examiner in New York that you see everything. Oh, sure. And truly, I think she's written about just just about everything. It's fascinating to me. I'm really enjoying it. I've been listening it to it on Audible, and I've pretty much been binge listening to it since Friday. I'm almost done. I've been just yeah. eating up this book. I will say... Maybe not do it the way I'm doing it and read it all in one sitting because I'm becoming a little paranoid. Oh, <laughs> like sure. I'm, I'm thinking maybe I'll just never About leave all my the house ways to again. die. Because you can literally, you don't even, your body could just quit on you and just die for no reason. Yep. I think about that all the time. And I'm like, fuck, I'm, I'm not safe anywhere. But you're really not. I'm sorry. But it's fascinating. I think people would really enjoy it. Like I said, it's really accessible. I'm not going to, I mean, you know what you're getting into when you pick up this book. I don't need to warn you. I will mention that she's a medical examiner in New York in 2001. Oh, fuck. So she she was there after 9-11. Yeah. She was on the front lines of processing all of the remains. And that day is upsetting to all of us, I think I can safely say, but it affects some people more than others, and sure, a lot of people are really sure. sensitive to that topic, so I think... to be aware of. It's something to be aware of. It's towards the end, and you can skip that chapter and not have it affect your enjoyment of the rest of the book. So be aware that that's coming. It was a hard a hard section for me to get through. I'm actually... That's why I'm not finished yet, because I kind of had to take, okay. take a couple breaks, because it's really upsetting. However, as upsetting as it is, I... You've, like, burned through this, though, right? (laughs) Yes, I have. But as upsetting as it is, (laughs) I found it fascinating to hear how they deal with a mass casualty event and how they really try to identify every last remain. You know, even down to 
a finger. You know, they tried their best to identify who it belonged to so they could bring closure to the families. And I thought that was remarkable. Yeah. I really appreciated that the story was coming from someone who was there and who was able to tell her story and how it affected her and her family, how it affected her her coworkers, the people that she cared about, who she worked with every day. That I appreciated. It wasn't a clinical sort of distance yeah. telling of the story. So it was hard. It was hard. And I'll, I'll warn you about that. But also, I, I really enjoyed getting that, hearing that story told from someone who was there. Sure. So I think everyone will really like it. I'll warn you that if you're listening to the audiobook, the narrator is not my favorite. <laughs> I think as consumers of audio media, the narrator, it, it can make or break your enjoyment of something. We all have preferences. And this is a total personal preference for me. I, I don't like when people do voices. Sure. So even when it's done well, I'm not a fan. Like the narrator of the Song of Ice and Fire series, the game, sure. the books that Game of Thrones is um, inspired by, um, he is like an award-winning narrator. He's won awards for his narration of audiobooks. He's a man of a million voices, and his voices are very fantasy when you hear them. But I hate it. I can't stand <laughs> it. It takes me right out of the story. I just want something read to me directly. And in particular, I don't like when men do female voices or when women do male voices. Sure. It just sounds comical to me. And the narrator of this book, although I don't think she's bad, she does male voices in a way that just sound funny. And it really is, I find it kind of distracting. However, I'm still enjoying the book. You know, I've, I've quit some audiobooks because I couldn't handle the narrator. I haven't, I haven't gotten to that point with this one. So just a warning there. Um, if you, if you prefer so to listen to books like I do. To the, to the facts. Yeah, I prefer just to be read too straight. I don't want right. I don't want a production. Although some people do enjoy that, so it's a personal preference. I'm just warning you, yeah, um, about that. And yeah, I feel like I should give it a try. I read, I think maybe half of Mary Roach's Stiff. Oh, that's like my next on the list. I love this book so much that I'm gonna get that one. It's next. beloved. It was a major plot point in the show Six Feet Under. Yep. Uh, people love this book. I couldn't handle it. That one's a little more gruesome it's in its descriptions gross. than this one. It was the part, she goes to a body farm, I can't remember which one, and there's just like so much maggot talk. <laughs> I'm sure I could have powered through it, but I was like, I hate every second of this. <laughs> so if you're a very squeamish, these might not be for you. I, I I gave up on that, but people love it. I mean, I I want stuff to be a little spooky, obviously. Mm-hmm. You're, not, I, you're just not as fascinated by that part. I just found it gross. Yeah, there is some talk of maggots and decomposition in this one, but I've oh, heard maggots. I've heard that the working stiff is not as gruesome Bro, in as, its description as, as stiff. stiff. So keep okay. that in mind. This one might be the one to try before you you try that book. If you're a little yeah. on the squeamish side, I'm totally not squeamish. No. So I fucking love it. But Samantha's gonna go. I'd love to go up to a body do, farm, do horse surgery <laughs> later today. So. A body farm, though. Oh, God. I want to go not, visit no. one so bad. The smell. <laughs> I could handle it. Whatever. The smell. No. I would love to see a body farm. Oh. I wish there was one in Minnesota, but we have winter, so we don't have one. There is a winter one, though. Somewhere. I think so in Wisconsin. Yeah. We looked it up once. So that's just across the border. We looked it up once. Don't worry. We looked into that. Oh. Well, um, this is the thing that I would do is look up. Oh, no, I know. That's why Tour I, a body farm is something I've Googled. I life. find that amazing. That's why I'm commenting on <laughs> it. It's like, well, of course we looked into that. I mean. Totally. Well, that's this episode, folks. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, five listeners. Be safe. Get out there. Solve a mystery. Get some candy. Go 
Live your life. Dress as a slutty nurse. When you're done, write us a review on iTunes for oh five god, stars. Oh my god, someone go as Robert Stack, please. That would be an amazing Halloween Please, costume. someone go as McGruff the Crime Dog. If you great. went as McGruff the Crime Dog as a kid, <laughs> please let me know. Let us know. After you're done trick-or-treating, write us a five-star review on iTunes. Follow us on yes. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Perhaps It's You. And send us an email at Perhaps It's You podcast at gmail.com. Wow, that was a mouthful, Samantha. Oh, I'm out of breath. <laughs> Thanks for everyone that's written their reviews on iTunes. I'm sure that's a huge pain, so we really appreciate that you do that. You take the time to... Yeah, thank you. It really helps us. And um, um, Thanks for listening. Such a wonderful Halloween. Happy Bye. Halloween. Bye. Bye.